Good morning, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Kathleen O, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, June 12, 2022. The share ID numbers for Friday, June 10th, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study, 19,057. That's 19057. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study, 19,058. That's 19058. This morning, A Vision for You presents Strange as It May Seem, a personal story of transformation as the result of the steps. Many of us come to OA doomed and miserable. Page 133 states, it is clear that we made our own misery. Our higher power didn't do it. We are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We experience powerlessness and will do anything for a solution and a way out of desperation. The big book states that a complete psychic change is needed for abstinence. This means completely adjusting to how we respond emotionally when facing challenges and difficulties. There is a solution to eating compulsively. A psychic change is what is needed to achieve recovery and live an abstinent life. Compulsive overeaters can recover if they experience an entire psychic change. It gives us the ability to respond to life differently. It is the element in the 12 steps that is referred to as a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening or an attitude adjustment. This drastic emotional rearrangement is necessary in order for someone who suffers from compulsive overeater to overeating to experience a full recovery. A psychic change allows us to make better decisions about how we handle things moving forward. It's a change in how we think, how we act, and how we feel. Selfishness is the root of our troubles, and we must be rid of of it and practice selflessness at every opportunity if we are to remain happy, joyous, and free. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness once we've begun making our amends and letting go of resentments. And we no longer fight anything or anyone, including the food. We'll seldom be interested in our binge foods, and if tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We are a fellowship of people who come together to carry the message of the 12 steps and help others who are still suffering. And joining us this morning is Tamara C., a recovered compulsive overeater from California. Tamara is dedicated to our 12-step way of life. She will share her personal story of transformation as a result of the steps. So welcome and good morning, Tamara C. Good morning, Kathleen. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, this is Tamara C. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, it's amazing to be here. It's amazing to be a part of this fellowship. And um, in doing my... <laughs> my 10 steps on the nervousness of sharing. Um, I was just reminded of how important this meeting has been for me and uh, the fact that others were willing to share their story on special editions um, saved my life. And so I feel so honored to be a part of it. Um, I'm going to start with a prayer Yesterday, as I was um, looking over what I wanted to say today, I could just feel my ego coming up pretty strong. And um, so to kind of set my intention, I wrote out a prayer, and I 
I knew I was going to need it this morning as well. So please um, bear with me as I read this prayer. God of my understanding, I notice my ego blocking me from you, my approval seeking coming into play, trying to protect me from the fear of not being enough, driven by the old belief that disapproval means I'm less than and not safe. God, I need a psychic change this morning. I ask that you rearrange my thinking and remove all that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Higher power, what can you do through my story for the one who's still suffering? Grant me freedom from self. Show me the next right words and give me everything I need to do your will so that someone listening now or perhaps listening to the recording someday may hear something you want them to hear. Amen. So, um, I've been in OA for 11 years, but I, um, next month I'm coming up on three years since my last break in abstinence. And so I just want to share um, a bit of my story. And uh, I, I wanted to call it strange as it may seem because um, uh, when I uh, had been through the steps and been through the big book, um, I would occasionally get a call from someone whose sponsor had given them this assignment, like call three people and ask them for their favorite part of the doctor's opinion. And so I would say, oh, let me see, and quickly leaf through the doctor's opinion, and I would come across this paragraph where I had put a little heart in the margin. And um, it says, um, on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems, he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. So when I had uh, read this paragraph, it gave me so much hope. So I put a little heart by it. And so then uh, recently I've thought, boy, if there were going to be like a biography of my story, I would want it to be called Strange As It May Seem because it is, it is very strange and uh, uh, it's a miracle for me that this hope could turn into reality, that there's been such a change for me. And so I want to tell you a bit of that story. Um, and it kind of helps to um, back up to the paragraph before, um, because on this paragraph I have so much underlined. Um, my sponsor gave me the assignment to underline things that I could identify with. So um, that paragraph is... Um, I'm, I'm in the doctor's opinion at the bottom of XXVIII. It says, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless irritable and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again as so many do and the phenomenon of craving develops, 
They passed through the well-known stages of a street, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over. And unless this person can ex experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of his recovery. This was just um, such a good description, I thought, of, of my experience and my misery in um, the disease. And so I want to share with you, though, like, why did I need a psychic change? If it was just misery with the food, why didn't I just need a better diet? Why did I need this rearrangement of my thinking, this transformation of the way that I respond to life, which, by the way, is not something that I could do for myself. It was something that, that was given to me. I came to OA because I wanted to get control over my eating. And what I found was a whole new design for living. So why I needed a psychic change? What, what I uncovered was that there was a lot more than just um, trying to control my eating. I tried to control everything in my life. I tried to control my health. I tried to control my performance, my achievement, my image. I tried to control my worthiness and my security. I also tried to control my character defects as, as I understood them my selfishness. I didn't want to be a selfish person. I tried to make myself think more of others. And, and I, I tried to control my attitude. I, I had heard a lot in my life, you need a new attitude. And I thought, how? How do I do that? Try to make myself be more positive, more grateful. I tried to control my motives. I wanted to be altruistic. I didn't always want to be thinking of what I could get out of it. I tried to control my life, uh, just, you know, like it says in the big book, to rest satisfaction by managing well. This was, this was me, trying to control every single thing. I used my own um, frothy emotional appeal. The big book says, you know, that um, we would hear frothy emotional appeal to get control over our eating. Well, for me, it came from me, always um, telling myself, you've got to do better, Tamara. You've got to change yourself. You've got to fix yourself come on, get yourself together so that you can be okay and be worthy. And all of this, um, it came into play to protect me, to help me. But it became the bullying voice of my disease. And then it was followed up with that scolding and shaming for not meeting my own expectations. And sadly, I interpreted this to be God's voice, God's expectations, God's appeal for me. God's shaming and scolding. So the way I lived my life was that nothing was ever good enough. I was never good enough. I heard someone share on a special edition, and I thought that's a good uh, explanation for what it was for me. She, uh, she said she called it a constant state of unmet expectations. And that was me. And um, in that state, I did a lot of harm. Um, one person I harmed greatly was my husband. I, uh, I lived in this way of um, trying to be better and it's never enough. And um, I put a lot of that onto him uh, when we were in that part of Bill's story where he said he stole from his wife's slender purse. I asked myself, what did I steal from my husband? I stole peace 
from him. I brought stress and fear and dissatisfaction and striving and perfectionism. I judged and blamed him. I just dragged him along in, in all of this. I, I stole joy from him. I brought fear and low self-esteem that prevented my participation in fun experiences. I brought uh, negativity that created sadness. I stole closeness from him, partnership. I was so concerned with like trying to be the perfect wife and win his approval as well as the rest of the world. So I wasn't real and open with my thoughts and feelings. I didn't even know who I was, so how could I share that with someone else? And I tried to just do everything so that I could look good. And as my perfectionism continued, as perfectionism continued to elude me because it was never enough, I came to blame my husband more and more. And I know, I recognized the fact that I was doing the best I could at the time with what I knew. Um, I know that my defects of character thought they were protecting me. And I did a lot of harm. Um, thankfully, with this psychic change that God is doing for me, uh, the steps help me uncover the harm that I've done in the past and harm that I do going forward because I continue to be human. I continue to um, bring my old ideas in until I do 10 steps and, and uh, get back to God. But they, they just keep showing up. And um, so my higher power is molding my ideals and showing me what to do in each specific matter helping me clear the wreckage and grow as I travel this road of reconstruction. Um, but as my sponsor encouraged me to do, I, I try and fail. And I just keep practicing and growing. I make direct amends and living amends. I am learning this new way to show up in my relationship. So my life is becoming more real and deeper and sweeter. It does feel like a road of happy destiny. Um, so, for, for a, a little example of um, what this psychic change has looked like in my relationship is um, I used to um, just like be that tornado roaring through and doing all the damage. So I would like get home from my job, which um, I'm a teacher, and I would have this agenda in my mind. Like before I could sit down and relax and spend time with my husband, I'd be like, okay, I need to do this and this, get this ready for tomorrow and this and that and put this stuff away and I would be my mind would constantly be spinning with like the next three things I need to do and my husband would come in and want to chat and I would get resentful like no 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 this is not how I planned the next 10 minutes <laughs> and so um, just uh, really not being there for him when that was my whole goal and um, today as a result of this psychic change that God is doing for me, I, I get to practice being in God reliance. And so my husband will come in and want to chat, and my reaction more and more is, oh good, well, I welcome this experience that God brought into my day. I get to just set everything down and just be with my husband. And that's, that's just amazing to me. So going back to that paragraph that says, um, men and women like the effect um, I, that, you know, like for me, what's the effect that food did for me? I want to share what that, what that looks like for me. And uh, I, I feel like the effect that food did for me 
is that somehow it gave me relief from that bullying voice. Food would, would say, ah, I can do this. It's going to be okay. Or this situation hurts and food is going to help me not feel it so badly. Uh, for example, um, if I was going to go to a social event, maybe a school-related event or a family-related event, and I was feeling a lot of social anxiety, I could stop on the way and get like a sweet, creamy coffee drink and just feel like, okay, then I can do it. I can do it. I can get through this event. Or um, another example is I, I used to dread doing report cards because there's a little comment section, so you have all the grades, and then you write a little little comment to let the parents know, you know, how your child is doing. Just a few sentences, but I would just agonize over saying just the right thing. Like, whoa, what will they think if I tell them that their child is struggling with reading, and I got to make sure I put a positive spin on it. Like, their child is working so hard, and and just I would dread saying the wrong thing, and so. One time, I got this bag of candy, and I sat it there on the table, and I would write the comments for one report card, and then I would eat a piece of candy. And it, would just, it was like this effect of, it's going to be okay. I can do this hard thing because I have my alcoholic food right here. Of course, I didn't call it my alcoholic food at that time. I called it my friend. Um, and one, uh, another example is, like if we were having company, um, then on like a Friday afternoon, I would leave school, and um, I knew I wanted to race to the grocery store and buy the, buy the food, and then race home and clean the whole house, and then prepare the food. And so to like bolster my energy and my motivation, I would stop and get fast food and sit in the parking lot and eat it. I'd be like, okay, this, this is doing it for me. Now I can go do all that I need to do. So uh, for a while, Food really was my friend. It really did give me this effect of life is going to be okay. Um, sadly, it did turn on me, and it, it did uh, become my master. Um, there were so many um, painful and shameful experiences with food that um, became more and more frequent. Um, as a teacher, um, occasionally there would be an event where everyone would bring some food to share. Uh, maybe it would be uh, a classroom special day that I was having, or maybe it would be like Teacher Appreciation Week. And anyway, I would just be obsessed with, okay, I don't want everybody to know that I'm taking a lot of food, but how can I get more of that? How can I get more of that? And then as I would be cleaning up, I would like take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that and like save it on plates and hide it away. And, and I was ashamed of that. I thought, oh, what if anybody saw me? And um, and then I would, like, on the way to school, get, um, again, a sweet, creamy coffee drink and just drink it very slowly, just sip it so that I would only drink half of it and then put it in the fridge and then just count the minutes until my students went to band class so that I could get, out, get it out. Because by then, I'd had enough of this painful living of nothing was ever enough and I needed to do better, that I was in a lot of emotional pain and that first drink would be like, can get through the next hour and get ready for when the students come back and be the perfect teacher. And, um, and then, of course, it became never enough. And, uh, and I remember after school, as soon as the students left, my first reaction was, 
oh, this day was so painful, and now I have to do all the grading and communicating with parents and lesson plans for tomorrow. Where can I get some food? I have to eat. I have to take the edge off. And if I didn't have any food with me, which I usually didn't because I usually didn't premeditate my, my eating, I would always tell myself in the morning I was going to eat right today, um, I would actually look in the trash cans and see what food my students threw away. And it, oh, I was so ashamed of that and so terrified if anybody would ever find that out. And I would shame myself and say, what kind of teacher are you? You're trying to um, create good citizens here. You're telling these students their responsibility to go out in the world and make a difference and you can't stop eating. What kind of example are you? Um, so uh, I want to share a little bit of, um, a little more from the big book of a few paragraphs that, or lines that um, helped me, that made a difference for me. As I um, was guided through this book, I, I found um, the vision meeting, and I found sponsors who used the big book to share their experience. And um, my last time through with my current sponsor especially brought about this psychic change for me, this rearrangement of my thinking. This sponsor had me really focus on, on my thinking this time through. And so, um, let's see, in Bill's story on page five, I could uh, really identify with this part where he says, I woke up, this had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. And there were times for me where I realized, wow, my eating is crazy. This is not okay. And I did find this one program where um, you, you didn't eat uh, sugar or white flour, and, and uh, I was like, okay, this is it. I'm never going to eat sugar again. And I did not understand at all the nature of my disease, so I thought I could do it. But then Bill goes on and says, shortly afterward I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. Someone had pushed a drink my way and I had taken it. Was I crazy? I began to wonder. For such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. And I, I could identify with that. I really thought, something is wrong with me. Other people don't do this. Uh, I see other people, they can just eat some of something and then stop. How do they stop? How do they stop? I just assumed that everybody felt about food the way that I did. I remember when I first came to OA and I looked on the website and there were those 15 questions that help you know if you're a compulsive overeater. And I was like, yes, that's me, yes, that's me, yes, that's me, yes, that's me. And um, when I told my friends um, about this, like, I found this program, OA. And, and, I, and one of my friends went to the website and read the 15 questions. And the next day she was like, wow, I didn't know people um, thought that way about food. And I said, really? I thought everybody felt that way about food. I thought it was just that everybody else had more willpower. And so, um, but then Bill goes on. He says, renewing my resolve, I tried again. Some time passed and confidence began to be replaced by cocksureness. I could laugh at the gin mills. Now I had what it takes. 
that was me for about an hour. I mean, for about an hour. <laughs> and now it's about an hour. It was a year. For about a year, I didn't eat sugar. And I thought, huh, those poor people around me who are eating sugar, if they just understood that it's addictive. And um, I've got this now. So much self-reliance. And, um, yeah, now it's about an hour. That's so true. <laughs> I would be lucky in my disease to go an hour without eating sugar. Um, but Bill says, one day I walked into a cafe to telephone, and no time I was beating on the bar asking myself how it happened. As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would manage better next time, but I might as well get good and drunk then, and I did. And then here I have, like, double underlines. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. Ah, that was me. When I picked up the food again, at first I thought, oh, I know what to do. Just don't eat it for a few days. It'll get out of my system, and then I'll be fine. And to my horror, I couldn't get back to it. I couldn't not eat sugar anymore. Something happened. I didn't understand the progressive nature of my disease. And I had a similar experience when I first came to OA. I got abstinent, to the best of my understanding of abstinence at that time. And I stayed absent for a long time. And then, uh, but I didn't have this psychic change, and I was fighting the food. And then I um, relapsed, and it was worse, crazy worse. I couldn't believe the things I was doing with food. And um, uh, and I would try so hard. I was like, okay, I got to start using those tools again, making phone calls, getting to meetings, calling my sponsor. And um, I could maybe get a couple days or a week think, okay, I've got this, I'm back, I'm abstinent again, and I would pick up again my alcoholic foods and be off racing, and, and it was just more and more hopelessness and despair, and uh, so much pain, like, how is this all going to end? I wasn't even so afraid of dying, I was afraid of the suffering before the dying, and um, it was a very, very painful place to be. I can also identify with on page 7 where he says surely this was the answer, self-knowledge um, that was kind of me with um, when I came to OA I felt like oh now I get it, I have an illness oh I have this thing where I can just never eat this, never ever ever okay like an alcoholic can never take that first drink so I can never take that first compulsive bite and at first I thought okay this is this is this is the deal with me, and I kind of thought it made me special, like, wow, I'm part of this, like, 12-step community, and people should admire me that I'm so strong that I'm every day fighting the first fight, and just never take that first fight, and then that wore off, and I was like, really, God, this is what you want from me, that the whole life of fighting that first bite, working my program, this is miserable, this can't be it, and Bill says, that self-knowledge is the answer, he says, but it was not the frightful day came when I drank once more. And of course, you know, I got into my relapse. And um, he says, going on a little later, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. And for me, compulsive overeating 
was absolutely my master. It had been my friend, remember. It lured me in by comforting me when I was scared or lonely. It helped me face or escape hard things. And then it absolutely turned on me. And food kept me in fear and loneliness. It became the hard thing. And there was no escape. And uh, when my disease said eat, I ate. Even when I didn't want to. I, I, um, I heard it said eating against my will, and that was me. I wasn't even enjoying it. And I was kind of no longer getting that effect. But I, I just kept eating, and I couldn't, I could, couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. And this self-pity that Bill talks about, and this quicksand, and this despair, I was, this was my go-to. Poor me. Poor me. My life is so hard and so painful. And my automatic thought about everything um, was, this is wrong. This is not how my life is supposed to be. This is not fair. I'm not going to be okay. And um, my sponsor encouraged me as I did my inventory and as I continue to inventory every day to look for the lie about God. And uh, for me, one of the big lies about God in my thinking was um, God doesn't really see me. God doesn't understand everything about me. God isn't doing a good job with me. Well, of course, you know, it turns out that what I thought I knew was best for me was not at all because I would never choose to have an addiction. Um, And, of course, that turned out to be the best, amazing, beautiful thing in my life because it brought me to a 12-step program and to this um, rearrangement of my thinking, to a new relationship with a higher power and a life of happy usefulness. So... So what do I know? I don't know what's best for me. I'm I'm learning to practice changing that first thought of this is wrong to welcome God. What can I do for you and others with this? And even learning to laugh at unexpected turns in my day. And that is not my old go-to for sure. It was always resentment, anger. Like how could that happen? That's not how I planned this for today. So I'm really glad that Bill's story didn't get stuck in that place, that morass of self-pity and um, alcohol being his master. And I'm glad that my story uh, didn't get stuck with food being my master. I got to go on and work the steps and have this rearrangement and a new way of living. In um, the chapter, There's a Solution, another part that really helped me was... um, where um, page 19 it says many could recover if they had the opportunity we have enjoyed how then shall we present that which has been so freely given us we've concluded to publish an anonymous volume setting forth the problem as we see it we shall bring to the task our combined experience and knowledge this should suggest a useful program for anyone concerned with the drinking problem so this kind of gave me um, instruction and hope like Okay, the answers are here in this big book. So keep reading, keep studying. And the next page says, you may have already asked yourself why it is that all of us became so very ill from drinking. Doubtless you're curious to discover how and why, in the face of expert opinion to the contrary, we have recovered from a hopeless condition of mind and body. If you're an alcoholic who wants to get over it, you may already be asking, what do I have to do? And as I read this, I was like, Yes, yes, get to it. Tell me what do I do? You say there's a solution, but 
you're still talking about the problem. And then it says, it is the purpose of this book to answer such questions specifically. We shall tell you what we have done. So I was like, okay, keep reading, find out what, what did you do, how did you get free from this miserable, miserable situation you wanted to get free. And then the next chapter I found something that, um, that gave me more, uh, that helped me more on page 25, and there's a solution. As this paragraph starts, there is a solution. Almost none of us liked it, and it goes on to describe, like, the steps and the work we have to do, and I was encouraged to hear that, that um, none of them liked it, so that when I didn't like it, I, I knew I had permission to do it anyway. I didn't have to like it. My sponsor would say that to me, too. You don't have to like this talent in different situations. Um, let's see. It says, uh, if you are seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there's no middle of the world solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible, and if we had passed into the region from which there's no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go into the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other, to accept spiritual help. So I learned that my solution was not the perfect diet or more willpower, but it was going to be a spiritual solution. And then on page 28, I was really helped by this. We, in our turn, sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. What seemed at first, this is possibly one of my all-time favorite sentences, the theme that first, a flimsy weed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given us, or if you prefer, a design for living that really works. So it was not until I knew I was drowning that I could give up fighting. But when I first came to OA, I didn't really know I was drowning. I knew I had a problem with food, and I just wanted to help for me to get control over my eating. But after my relapse, I knew there is nothing in me that is going to solve this problem. I'm drowning. And then I was willing to give up fighting. I was willing to learn to give up through, through going through the steps. And then my sponsor said to me, you'll learn that you don't have to change yourself or fix yourself. And I was like, what? Isn't that why I'm here? I'm here in a 12-step program so that I can change myself and fix myself. And I learned that that's not my job. That's not my job. My job, go to my higher power. And so this new design for living takes me to my higher power where I get acceptance, love, guidance, and usefulness. And um, uh, I think my favorite paragraph in More About Alcoholism on page 43 is the very last paragraph. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. My sponsor also told me, Tommy, you can't think your way to a solution. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. So I have one defense against my spiritual illness that drives me to compulsive food behavior. And it is not self-will. It is not reliance. It is not knowledge of my condition. All those are helpful. Uh, it is not burying myself with fear and shame. It is not 
a perfect food plan or exercise routine, and it's not managing well, my one defense must come from a higher power. When I first um, saw the chapter of the agnostics, I thought, oh, that chapter's not for me. I believe in a, a, I, b- I already believe in a higher power. But then and now more and more as I, as I read it and as I went through it with my sponsor, I see, oh, my goodness, this chapter is so for me. Um, it says, lack of power, that was our dilemma on page 45. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. Obviously, but where and how are we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main objective is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. So for me, in step two, and as I continue to grow in step two every day, um, I I found um, that what I believed in my head, that I would tell my sponsor, I I believe that God is accepting and kind and gracious and forgiving. And and she would say, oh, I know, Tammy, I know you you think you believe that. You believe that in your head. But what are you operating on? Um, I I would, with my sponsor, to uncover the truth that this head knowledge is not what showed up in the way that I responded to life. My old beliefs were running the show in my heart. My doubts and prejudices were, like, is God really here in this moment when I feel low or fearful? Does God really care and understand? And if so, then God is not powerful enough to help me because God is not helping me. Um, yeah, I needed a God personal to me. Like, I, I um, actually have taught my whole career in a Christian school, and I would tell my students all these things, like, God accepts you just as you are, and um, but <laughs> I didn't apply it to myself in my own heart. Like somehow that just went, the way that I respond to life is, you're not enough, Tamara. You got to fix yourself. God expects you to do better. <sighs> so I want to go back to um, that that paragraph. Um, on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed tells me. I had so many problems. I despaired of ever solving them. There was a time where I just wanted to die. I just welcomed the idea of death. Like I just felt like I can't drag myself out the door one more day and face life and I was just always fighting, fighting, fighting fighting the food, fighting my despair fighting, always saying come on Tammy, you gotta do this, you gotta make a difference no, I just don't want to do it anymore and with the food like just give up, just go buy everything and eat everything no, no Tammy, you can't you can't give up you got to keep trying, and it, and it was just so miserable. I, I didn't want to live my life anymore, and the life I was living did not feel like living. I wasn't there for the people that I loved. I wasn't there for myself. I felt like God wasn't there for me, and I just, I despaired of ever solving my problems. And then it says, um, 
suddenly find himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. So I know that um, this was written by a non-alcoholic. This was written by Dr. Silkworth and his, his perspective as he was looking at these, these people that he had tried so hard and so long to help and now he was saying, wow, look, now they're not drinking. Now they're able to control their desire for alcohol. For me, what I know, my truth is, I am not at all able to control my desire for compulsive eating. It's not something I do for myself. It's a gift of grace that my higher power does for me as I um, live in the steps every day. I keep uncovering what's blocking me. I keep going to my higher power. I keep um, practicing. This is done for me. The, uh, this desire for compulsive eating, it's amazing, amazing. It's mysterious and strange. How can I not be thinking of food all day long? I, I just, I really don't understand it, and I don't have to understand it. I just, and my heart is so full of gratitude that this miracle has happened for me. Um, so it's not me controlling my desire for food. I really just don't want the food. I'm not fighting it. And that's, that's crazy. How could that happen for someone like me who thought of food every second of the day? And then the last part of this paragraph, the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. And to me, that means living the steps, living the steps, and, and that's um, what I'm learning to practice. I wake up with the steps. I go to, go to bed with the steps, and all throughout the day, I live in the steps. I use the steps. I, um, I use what I learned in steps four through nine to do my 10th steps every day. And as I'm doing, I, I believe that for me, step 11 incorporates steps one, two, and three every day as I just continue to remember my powerlessness, that I need a higher power, and that my higher power is trustworthy and good and cares about me. And I go to that higher power and I try to carry the message and be useful to my higher power and to others. So one day at a time, I imperfectly practice living in the steps, keep going to God over and over, and this strange, incredible miracle happens for me. Every day I get this, this rearrangement of my thinking. So strange as it may seem, strange as it may seem to me, by working with a sponsor, guiding me through the steps in the big book, I have been given the psychic change. Um, I'm learning now to trust and rely on a higher power who calls me friend and who does for me what I cannot do for myself. This spiritual healing that helps me respond differently to life and to my feelings. So instead of being in bondage to self-will and food obsession, I get to live a life of growth and purpose. It's a very satisfying life. It's free and new and strange and beautiful. And if it can happen for me, it can happen for you. So get a sponsor. Go through the big book. Learn how to live in the steps and practice every day. And it is hard. It is hard. It is painful it, going through the steps. Most of us don't like, like it, doing inventory and making amends. And it's so worth it. It's so worth it. it. It will bring you so much joy. You won't believe it. 
and freedom. Freedom from the food obsession and for me, freedom from the crazy thinking that kept me in misery and drove me to the food. So I'm going to pass with that. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share my story. Thank you so much, Tamara C., for your beautiful presentation and your message of hope. Okay, we're going to open the lines. Um, if anyone has a question for Tamara, I'll take your name and she'll answer your questions.
what I need to do God's will today. And so, um, so I, I will pause often and say, um, you know, God, what's next? What do you have for me next? And, and I just I learned this by hearing other people share that in lots and lots of shares. Uh, what's next, God? And so that just helps me so much as, I, as that old voice starts coming up. Oh, you need to do this, you need to do this. Make your list, get these done. Um, I kind of hear my higher power laughing and saying, Really? I have a better idea for you. And I just so I just learn to laugh and just pause and say, ah, God, give me inspiration and intuitive thought, a decision. What's next? And I really um, try to just enjoy that one task and when my mind starts spinning with, okay, after this I need to go do that, and after that I need to go do that. Um, one thing that helped me is my sponsor had me make a bookmark, and on the left side put um, um, what I feel like um, my higher power wants to work on, like stop me from being this, and then on the right side put what I think my higher power wants me to go towards, so I'll be, say something like, higher power, stop me from running the show, and teach me to rely on you, or just teach me to be yours. Um, my big one lately is, God, stop me from impressing people, and teach me to just be your child. So, um, yeah, that's one thing that helps me. Thank you for that question. Thanks for the question, Becca R. And Loretta H., your question? Thank you very much, moderator and camera. Thank you for your wonderful digestion of, you know, staying in the steps. Loretta um, H. recovered in North Carolina. You talked a lot about your husband and your career and relationships, and that was what I didn't know how to do. And tomorrow will be married for 52 years, um, only because of the grace of this program. But how do you daily not take your husband's spiritual temperature? Because as much as I try, that defensive character seems to come up in my 11th step and 10th step. Not at least once a day, but probably a few times a week. So what do you do if it happens, and what do you do daily to maybe arrest that? Thank you, Loretta, for asking that question. Um, I'll tell you what I wanted was that I go through the steps, I do a step nine, I make my amends to my husband, and I show up this amazing new life, and he's like, no, you're different now. And um, I did not like it when my sponsor told me, shared with me that it, it took a lot of ten steps and a lot of time. Um, to, anyway, when my sponsor encouraged me to try and fail, I didn't like that. I wanted to be, like, suddenly transformed. But um, then as I would fail, it was encouraging to me that, okay, it takes time. It does. I would, um, when I check in with my sponsor, often we talk about my husband, my relationship with my husband, and here again, that character defect is coming up again. And a few weeks ago, I, I told her, like, you know, I noticed this one character defect. It it's like keeps showing up in my ten steps. Does that mean I'm missing something and 
like step six, and I'm not willing to let go of this? And her response was, oh, you really want to stop growing? And I just realized, oh, okay, so <laughs> this is going to be a lifetime of reconstruction, a long road of reconstruction ahead. So how do I not take his temperature? I practice not taking his temperature. I still do it, and but what what's so beautiful is that the more ten steps I do, the more quickly I recognize it when I'm taking his, you know, his inventory. When I'm starting to get into judgment, and sometimes I just laugh at myself, like there I go again. And um, yeah, the more ten steps I do, the more um, nightly reviews. I love the nightly review, getting to look back over my day and say, oh, yeah, got into, got into that again. Um, it's just awareness. I feel like my higher power is bringing this, this spiritual awakening, this awareness. So sometimes as I open my mouth about to say something, uh, it, it can, like, shift that quickly. Um, and I know that's not me. I know that's my higher power using the steps and using my practice to help me grow and change. And I'm sure I'll still practice and fail today, and, and I've come to acceptance of that. Thank you, Loretta. Thank you for the question, Loretta. And Jody E., go ahead. Thank you, Kathleen. And uh, this is Jody E. Gratefully recovered in, in California today. Thank you so much, Tamara. That was a beautiful share. I loved your opening prayer, and I love how you're showing us that this is um, this is a happy road. This is a road. Um, it sounds like it's an educational variety of awakening, as you've been saying. And I'm wondering if that's true also um, with your thinking about yourself, the thoughts in your head. And also, I heard you say you have neutrality around food, but are you noticing shifts as you progress in your awakening, your spiritual awakening, with your food and your, the way you uh um, respond to your food, and that's my question. Okay. Hi, Jody. <laughs> it's so great to hear you. But, um, let's see. With the thinking about myself, and yes, there is this awakening happening, and I, I do see a shift in that area. For example, um, I <laughs> did a bunch of different steps about giving this special edition, um, including one early this morning. And what came up for me, like when I asked that question, God, what would you have me be? Was um, this acceptance and allowance of my my feelings, like this nervousness and this um, how I I keep coming back to, oh, I'm trying to make a good impression, and I, I want people to approve of me so that they like me, so that I'm worthy, so that I'm safe, and um, as I'm willing to turn that around, but I also like to allow and accept that this is a very long-held belief that your worthiness comes from the approval of others, and 
also not to judge myself, but give myself grace for having these old beliefs. Um, acknowledging that they, they came into play to protect me. And so um, that's, I think, maybe a new um, awakening around myself is not judging myself for for having character defects. And um, for my food, I think the shift that I've noticed lately is, um, I mean, it's, it's been a while now, but when I heard people share on meetings that their food got to be just fuel, not entertainment, um, it doesn't have to be an event, that just helped me relax a lot around my food. Like, if I'm in a situation where I'm, I'm not at home, so I, I don't have access to prepare my usual abstinent meal, um, so maybe it's not going to be what I usually enjoy, it's just going to work for me, I have peace around that. It doesn't have to be special. It doesn't have to be um, impressive. Um, it can just meet my nutrition needs. And um, just I, I just follow the plan for my dietitian. Don't include anything alcoholic for me. And um, But I used to try to work with that and like, okay, but make it special, have variety. And, and the shift lately is, it's fine. Just it's just food. Just take care of yourself by eating what you need to eat, and then live your life. And my life is so sweet now that um, you don't need food to be special. Yeah, that's what's coming to me. Thanks, Jody. Thanks for the question, Jody E. And Kristen H. Go ahead with your question. Hi. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Hi, my name is Kirsten Oates. I am a compulsive of Thank you so much. I feel like every word you said was spot on for me. You know that moment when you're like, they're talking with me? That was me today. I am a teacher. And, you know, my compulsive eating started when I started teaching. Um, and so I have a question for you about the social aspect of this program. I'm fairly new. Um, one thing I find challenging is how do I explain to my friends and families and coworkers about this process I'm going through because they've always known me as the food addict, the person who loves to eat. And so you can imagine it's very surprising when I, you know, when I teach your friends, which teaching is a career that involves a lot of food, if you don't know. I mean, there's class birthday parties, and mm-hmm. then I have to get up and work. Um, so how did I explain to these friends of mine, uh, quite obviously they're confused, um, with being sensitive to them and, and also sensitive to myself. I don't know, I'm just kind of struggling with that social aspect of, of explaining this new part of myself, and I would love any, any tips you have from one teacher to another. Thank you so much. Yes, I hear ya. <laughs> yeah, there can be so much centered around food. Uh, we just, last week was our post week, and we had a lot of meetings, and a lot of the meetings were um, centered around food. There was food served, or we went out to eat. And um, it, you know what I find, Kirsten, is that um, my anticipation of it is a lot more awkward than the reality of it. I, I think they're, they're going to think it's so weird that I'm bringing some of my own food or that I have to know ahead of time exactly what the food's going to be so I can plan around it. And 
And the truth is, they um, kind of don't care as much as I think that they care. So I'm trying to think, like, what are some things that I have said? Because sometimes they do ask. Um, I ha- if, if it's like just a few teachers and I feel kind of you know, close to them, I have shared that I, I have, um, I've explained it as eating disorder. I think people get that a little bit better than um, uh, trying to explain it in other ways. Um, if yes, the allergy of the body, they, I don't think they really get what that means. Um, uh, sometimes, you know, you can say you have allergies, but but these people, they have seen you overeating, and so they'll be like, really? Because we've seen you eat that before. So, yeah, I just I just kind of say, I mean, I have, you know, said, yeah, I'm in a 12-step program, and usually people will laugh, like they'll think it's a joke, Overeaters Anonymous. I have had people really think I was joking and laugh, and then they look at my face and go, oh, you're serious. So I, I try, I don't get into it too much. I used to when I first came to LA. I think, this is amazing. This is a miracle. I want to tell the whole world about this. And I feel like people who are not compulsive overeaters just don't get it, and that's okay. I know that my life depends on not eating my alcoholic foods and ingredients. And so... I um I know that I have to uh, stay close to my higher power and bring my higher power into it and and if I can't explain it well and they don't understand it that's okay that's okay I kind of let go of that need for them to understand me and understand me as an addict and what that means for me so yeah it it, it is hard I don't, I don't really have like the best perfect words sometimes when I hear other people say how they explain it I try to write that down so, oh I can say it that way next time but I just try to be be real with that that's one of the gifts of program is I'm learning to be more authentic and to care less what people think of me to be able to just be of service to them whether they understand me or not so so that's the best I got Thank you for your, que- your question, Kristen H. And Stacy H., it's your turn. Go ahead with your question for Tanya. Hi, this is Stacy H. calling in from Virginia. Um, thank you so much, Tamara. Your show was amazing. I am going to go back and listen to this recording again because it was just so good. Um, the thing I was thinking today, uh, you know, you talked in the beginning about entire psychic change. And I um, had a slip in November, went back to step one, worked my way through the steps, was recovered, um, and then in early May wound up picking up again. And I guess I'm just not sure, like, what did I miss the last time? You know, like, how do I lock in that entire psychic change? Like, do I have to do something differently? Is there something I'm missing? Like, I just don't know how to make it stick. Oh, hi, Stacy. <laughs> it's good to hear your voice, too. Um, yeah, I hear you. I, I actually uh, I started listening to the vision meetings in January of 2019 when I found them. And I, um, I, I, uh, in a few months, I uh, rushed the sponsor that I had, and so I got a sponsor who was on this early meeting that we call Vision for You and went through the big book with her. Um, and then I still had my break in abstinence. And um, what what was I missing? I think um, 
I think I just have to allow the experience to be what it was. I think that I, as I was ready for more, God brought me more. And with the um, the sponsor that I have currently, who is another sponsor, um, like I said, she had me really, really focus on my thinking, um, not so much like how my powerless over food, but how my powerless over thinking. That was really transformational for me because I guess I really, really did have this idea that I can think my way to a solution. I can memorize the big book. I can work all the tools. I can um, just figure this out, figure this out. And and so this this last time through, um, my sponsor had, had me make this big list of all my old ideas, all my prejudices, things like if people aren't happy with me, I'm less than. Things like um, God is not doing a good job running the universe. If I were running the universe, I would do things differently. If I were in control, I would be happier. Um, if I have this, I'll be happy. If that happens, I'll be happy. Um, just I really, really looked at my thinking and uncovered a lot of that. What's going on? And I found that, like, and I really bring that into my 10 steps and my nightly review, I find that my resentments are always driven by some fear. And my fears are always driven by some old belief. Um, and so I, the way that I do 10 steps now, my sponsor taught me when I get to that part about why do I have this fear, she gave me some questions that really helped me dig deep and really pause and really ask God, why, why do I have this fear? What's the thinking behind this fear? And so the more 10 steps I do in that way, um, I just keep growing. So I don't know that I ever missed something so much as that I was just on a path. And part of my, like my break in abstinence was part of my path, and it taught me more about the nature of my disease. And I, I appreciate it today. And so... Um, yeah, I don't know if that I'm missing anything so much as that I'm just, like, just grow. I just grow and grow and grow and keep unfolding, keep um, being transformed and accept where I am in that process and, like, God's timing and God's way and um, just accept that I'm where I'm supposed to be today and I will be tomorrow, too, where I'm supposed to be tomorrow. So, yeah, thank you for that question, Stacey. Kathleen, are you there? Perhaps you're muted. Sorry, I was muted. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you for your question. Bonnie, be glad with your question. Thank you so much. Can I be heard? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Kathleen, thank you for leading camera. What an amazing um, share today. I love the title. Um, Bonnie B. Gratefully Recovered in the State of Minnesota. Um, by God's grace for today. So my question really was answered by so many other people that asked questions ahead of me. My question coming into this was, 
I wanted to be able to like, um, my experience was I've had to go through the steps many times and I've relapsed many times. And my question to you was going to be, what's your experience with regards to that? Because I feel helpless when people say, what am I missing? And I don't know what to say other than keep coming back. But I think Stacy asked that question and um, I think the answer that you gave was just so beautiful. I mean, because my experience was, it just, it just is what it is, and it's part of the journey, and I don't have an answer. Um, so I guess just everyone else answered or asked the same questions I had, and I want to thank you. It was a beautiful share. So blessed to be able to be part of this today. Thank you again. I'll pass. Thank you, Bonnie B. Okay, anyone else? I have, can take your name for anyone else who has a question for Tamara this morning. Chris G. Sorry, there's a lot of static on the line for some reason. Can you say after Chris G who came in? Okay, I am not hearing names for some reason. Okay. Go ahead. Charlene G. Charlene G. I heard Chris G. Dana P. Charlene G. Oh, I don't know why the static. Sorry, guys. Who came in after? Who just came in? Dana P. I have Dana Julie. P. Julie E. B. Okay, let's go with those. Barbara P. Barbara P. Okay, Chris G., go ahead with your question, please. Chris, star one to unmute. Thank you, Tamara. Thank you, everybody. Um, and a great shares, great, great, uh, great shares. I heard you say it's not bullying myself with fear and shame. I'd like to hear more about not bullying myself with fear and shame. Hmm. Yeah, I got that expression bullying myself uh, from my sponsor. I had never thought of it that way. I thought it was um, me helping myself, motivating myself. I thought fear was helpful. I used it as a, a good tool. Like, um, uh, I would tell myself, Tamara, if you don't get your eating under control, you are going to just keep gaining weight. You're not going to be able to afford to buy new clothes and new clothes every time you go up a size. That's going to be horrible. What are you going to do? You're killing yourself, Tamara. You're ki you know, try to use all this this fear, I thought that fear could motivate me. And shame, just uh, shame I learned as a child. Uh, shame, uh, my mother used shame to control 
us. And so I learned that and I used shame to tr- control myself. Uh, and, you know, honestly, it, it could be helpful. My sponsor encouraged me to look at both sides of it. For example, it got me through college when I was in a lot of depression and anxiety. Fear and shame got me out of my dorm room and to my classes and to my job. And um, But when my sponsor called out bullying myself, I, I realized, wow, am I a bully? I'm trying to make myself behave a certain way and I'm using mean methods to do that? Yes, I am. I am. I'm being mean. I'm being mean. This is not how I would treat anyone else. This is not how I would treat my students. Although, you know, when I look back and look at harm I did, I can see it coming in. Trying to give that message of you, you're supposed to change, you're supposed to be different before you can be enough. And um, and so today I practice a new way. I practice um, that voice of my higher power, which says, Tamara, I like you. I like who you are. And you're fine. You're okay. You're safe. I've got you. I created you the way you are because I wanted a Tamara. I didn't want you to be like everyone else. I wanted you to be you. And so since my higher power uses that voice with me, I get to use that voice too. I get to laugh at myself and tell myself that I like me. I like who I am. And I no longer try to motivate myself through being mean to myself. And I find that I no longer, well, I practice no longer trying to motivate my husband or my students or the other people in my life through um, fear and shame either. And so, um, yeah, thanks for asking me. Thank you, Christy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Mary C., go ahead with your question, please. Hi, this is Mary C., compulsive overeater. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, Kim, thank you so much for your your uh, share. Um, in your service, but my I just felt much identified with you, and I don't have as much as questions. Well, maybe I do. Um, I'm new. It's only it's been a month since I've been on the way on the twelve steps, and I'm just starting my fourth step right now. And I was doing really good, but last night I I don't know if I was testing it or what I was doing, but I had. I had a bite of a cookie. I went out. They had cookies, cake, all kinds of stuff. And I had a little taste of cake. And I thought, I can do this. I can resist this. And that was it. And I don't know why I did that. I I had been doing so good up until then. And all of a sudden, I just, I think I was testing, testing God, maybe. I'm just not sure. Yes, yes. I, 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 you know, um, Mary, thank you for sharing that. When um, I'm working with uh, sponsees and um, doing my best to use my experience to um, just just sharing my experience and their higher power is guiding them through the steps. Um, but I, I have 
had sponsees in step four um, pick up their um, alcoholic foods, and um, I, you know it's it's a very it's an uncomfortable place to be in step four. And what what does our disease tell us? Oh, you're uncomfortable. You know what's going to make you feel better? Oh yeah, food. Your old friend, food. And um, for me, I've found that uh, step two is really key in this, um, often for myself or for my sponsees. That like I like that you you saw that maybe you were testing God, and I I think I think you were. I think you're. Um, you're still developing your concept of, of your higher power, of who God is to you. Is God really personal enough to you? Does God really care what you eat? Is God really going to do this miracle for you? And um, so for me, it helped me to spend some time. And, and I encourage my sponsees, when, if they pick up to to go back and revisit what do I really believe about God. And, and you know, I didn't really know in step two. I, it, I had to, like, get through the steps and get to step 11 and continue to grow my concept of a higher power as I went along. But um, um, it, it, it is, I think, my concept of a higher power that helps me get that miracle so it's kind of like all connected so I had to get abstinent get through the steps to that miracle to those promises um, but when when yeah like w- looking back three years ago when I broke my abstinence <laughs> my sponsor at that time she said you're learning to develop your God muscle because the way it happened was I didn't it didn't even occur to me to bring my higher power into it. I didn't even the thought didn't even cross my mind to pause and say, God, I'm in this tricky food situation. How shall I handle this? I just handled it the way that I thought I should. And so um, accept that you're still growing in that too, in that understanding of your higher power and how trustworthy is your higher power. And just spend a little more time re- revisiting that. That's what that's what I would do, and definitely work through with your sponsor um, a little more on step two. But don't stay in step two. It's we, we don't we don't um, work step two. We just um, look for a power that's personal to us and powerful to powerful enough to help us, and then we get through the steps to develop that relationship with that power. And keep coming Thank back. you, Mary C. Yes, keep coming back, Mary. Thank you for your question. And we saw page G. Okay. Um, Dana P., why don't you go ahead? Star one to unmute, Dana. Sorry, I'm here, Kathleen. Can I be heard? Yes, yes. I wasn't sure if you caught me with all that static. Um, Wow, Tamara, I know you're just right up the street from me. Um, So wonderful to hear you speaking on the line this morning. Um, And you shared, and people ask questions about relapse, and you shared about that, or um, you also called it a break in your abstinence. And, uh, And I love the topic and your title, 
for your talk because it really alludes to this idea of fail to enlarge our spiritual life. And so many of us know that um, the book talks about those people and in in, uh, more about alcoholism and certainly Evie um, failed to enlarge your spiritual life. So I'd, I'd love to hear um, some commentary from you regarding how you continue to enlarge your spiritual life and, and perhaps how and where you, um, quote-unquote, failed to enlarge your spiritual life and, and how that resulted in the relapse, rather than the particular things that we do, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, again, um, that break in absence was, I believe, an important part of my journey to help me understand my disease of self-reliance. So I was um, trying to enlarge my spiritual life uh, to the best of my understanding at that time, and I, I believe that's why I was given such grace with um, that I, I ate something that was on my list of alcoholic foods, and, and then I immediately uh, called my sponsor at that time, did 10 steps, started uh, doing a lot of prayer and meditation and program, and um, I didn't have to um, continue that relapse. I was able to be given the grace to get right back into abstinence. But um, I continued to grow spiritually, and with the sponsor that I have now, um, I think the, the big shift about my spiritual life as it continued to grow was really uncovering this, what's the lie about God. You think, as I do my 10 steps, um, I think that my higher power is using the process to just really help me get to know um, who my higher power really is and what my higher power thinks of me. my sponsor encouraged me when I asked that question, you know, God, what would you have me be? Or directed my attention to what you would have me be. Um, she says, you know, it's not a to-do list. And I <laughs> I would say things like, be more patient, be less judgmental. And she would say, oh, that's a to-do. I was like, no, listen, be. Be more patient. <laughs> so I, I kind of, it took me a while to grasp, like, what's a be? And so she... She said, what if, you know, you were talking to a friend in this situation? What would you say to your friend? Would you say, be more patient, or would you want to say, you know, and for me, what I would want to say to a friend in the fear is, you're okay, you're okay, and, and you know, be be safe and be worthy. I want you to know that you're safe and you're worthy, and so I, that started to shift for me. Um, so as I continue to enlarge my spiritual life, I do these 10 steps, I ask my higher power, what would you have me be? And I really get quiet, and I really try to take in what my higher power is saying to me. And more and more, it's like, Tamara, be you. I like you. I like who you are. Be human. And um, be, be a human among humans, so not like your idea of perfection. Um, be loved. I've got you. I love you. Nothing you do can change my love for you. 
and be worthy because I think you're worthy, not what everybody else thinks of you. And be safe because I've got you. And, and calamity can happen, suffering can happen, and I've still got you. And, and be, lately I hear a lot, be not knowing because I want to know the future and how everything's going to work out. And um, my higher power is like, be not knowing and still safe and still protected. And so it's really my 10 steps, my nightly reviews, um, my morning prayer meditation, and then pausing often throughout the day. God, what's next? What's next? What do you have to say to me in this? And um, as I'm working with others, that's been an amazing experience to enlarge my spiritual life because I grow and learn so much from them just by witnessing how their higher power is showing up for them and transforming them. I learn so much. So, yeah, that's how I uh, continue to enlarge my spiritual life. Thank you, Dana. Thank you for your question, Dana P. And Charlene G., go ahead with your question. Star one to unmute, Charlene. This is Charlene G. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, my goodness, that thing wants to take over. Hi, thank you so much for your service. And I think in the last handful of questions, you've answered mostly what I was after, and that was um, when you have situations which used to baffle you, such as social settings and feeling comfortable in your own skin with situations, and trying to get that new way of thinking, what helps you keep on your toes so you're not to slip back into your old ways? And, and, how do, and you've got some beautiful scripts that I just really appreciated, but how do you, how do you keep from you know, going back to your old ways of thinking? Mm. Charlene, I, I do appreciate that. Um, like here's a situation that baffles me is uh, students are not getting along. They're having conflict. They're being mean to each other. And um, my, my old voice says, you have to fix this right now. You have to make them get along. You have to make them like each other or you're a failure as a teacher. And um, my new way is, I don't know. I don't know, God. Hmm. Let me just pause here and say, what do I know? I don't know how to help these students. So God... Uh, give me inspiration, intuitive thought, a decision, how can I be helpful? And sometimes how can I be helpful means for me that I may not be the one to solve this problem. Maybe they have to solve this problem themselves, um, but maybe I can be helpful. Maybe my helpfulness is to get out of the way. Um, maybe um, I'm going to look bad, like my students aren't going to get along and parents are going to think I'm a terrible teacher. And um, But... I, I just get to be me and be a servant of God, and I pray, you know, God, let me be a channel of your love and light. But I, I, I'm learning that it's it's not my show, as a uh, 10-step partner said, it's God's show. So I don't have to have all the answers. It's, situations can still baffle me. Um, I love, my sponsor helped me see that uh, some we pray for inspiration, and in the big book says sometimes we're inspired and sometimes we're absurd. And so I I learned to accept that sometimes I'm absurd. Sometimes I don't know the answers, or my answers are wrong, and and that's okay because 
Uh, my higher power is bigger than all of it. And sometimes I don't remember to pause in that moment. And um, But my, my sponsor asks me, did you pray in the morning and ask for inspiration all throughout the day? Yes. So don't you... Don't you trust that your higher power is is uh, doing that for you? So, so um, I'm practicing that pause, and I'm practicing to trust the intuition that comes, and I'm okay with situations that still baffle me, and because and, it's it's I'm not the savior of the world anymore. I used to want to run the whole universe. Yeah. Thanks, Shirley. Thank you, Charlene, and um, I'm sorry we're going to have to wrap this up, so I think um, Tamara will leave her number at the end after the recording, and the rest of these app questions can, can give her a call. And Tamara, thank you so much again for sharing your, your growth and your inspiration. Um, your presentation was so clear and beautiful. Thank you so much for your service today. And just to let you all know the share ID for Sunday, June 12th, Today is 19,061, and we're going to close with a reading from the big book on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We will be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.